and welcome to Moments with Moni. I'm so glad you're here, where we ponder life from a biblical perspective, where salt makes us thirsty and light exposes darkness. Come, let's ponder these things together. Hello and welcome back to Moments with Moni. I'm your host, Moni. The last time we got together, I shared about the Abrahamic Covenant Part 1. There was so much more left to unpack that we had to have a second part to the story. So at the end of our last time together, Abram and Sarah had taken matters into their own hands and used Sarah's maidservant to be a surrogate mother so the two could fulfill God's promise to them. After all, they thought they were getting too old for something like this, and it was the custom of the time to have a child this way if you were unable to have them on your own. Surely God would bless our efforts. Ever been there? Ever thought like that? Well, after Hagar returned with Ishmael from running away because of being treated harshly, she submitted herself to Sarah once again. At this time, Abram was 86 years old. Have you ever run ahead of God and done things for him rather than waiting for him to do what he had promised? Well, one verse and four years later, God reappears to Abram and says, I am the Almighty God. Walk uprightly before me, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face and listened to God reiterate what he had promised to Abram. Sometimes we need to hear the promises of God repeated, and God is always good to do just that when we stop and listen. This covenant is between God and Abram. You will be a father of many nations. I will change your name from Abram, which meant high and haughty or lofty, to Abraham, which means high father of a multitude. For I will make you a father of many nations. This covenant is established between me and you and your seed and all the generations as an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to all your seed after you. I will give the land of which you are a stranger, the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession to you and your seed, and I will be their God. This is my commandment with you, Abraham, and with your descendants, and this will be the sign of the covenant. You and every man-child among you are to be circumcised as a sign of this covenant. Your children by birth and those that are bought or servants. Signs were an important part of a covenant. Ephesians 2, 10-13 explains more about how the Jews and the Gentiles were reconciled through Jesus during New Testament times. This is another reason to see that the New and the Old Testaments, the whole, work together and cannot be separated if we are to see God's plan clearly. Verse 10 begins, 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us in advance. So remember you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that when you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Circumcision today is of the heart. And that will be made more clear when we get to the new covenant. Back to Sarah. As for your wife, God says her name will also be changed from Sarai to Sarah. Matthew Henry's comments on the name change confers a sense of changing from my princess to princess of multitudes, signifying that the Messiah, the prince, even the prince of the kings of the earth, were to come from her. God continues to tell Abraham, I will bless her and give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will be mother of nations and kings and peoples. Overcome with joy and laughter, Abraham fell on his face, overwhelmed with the prospect of a child being born to him at a hundred years old and to a wife at ninety. Oh, the shame of it all will be erased. But then Abraham brings up the other son, who he has come to love, and inquires of God, Oh, that Ishmael might live or be declared by you. But God replies, No, for Sarah, your wife will bear you a son indeed. You will call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with you, and Isaac and his descendants after him as an everlasting covenant. God continues as for Ishmael, I heard you, I have blessed him, I will make him fruitful, I will multiply him exceedingly, he will bear twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. God continues to speak to Abraham, But my covenant with you I will establish with Isaac, which Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. When God was finished speaking with Abraham, that very same day, Abraham, those born in his house, and those who were bought were circumcised. Now being reminded of the promises, the eternal, unconditional covenant with God, Abraham was instantly obedient in all things that God told him. And it came to pass, just as God had said, Abraham and Sarah gave birth to a child and named him Isaac. And when the child was eight days old, the circumcision took place, the symbol to remind them of the covenant with each new generation. 
When little Isaac was weaned, some scholars say three, some say up to five years old, Abraham made a feast to celebrate. During this time, Sarah was an eyewitness to Ishmael mocking Isaac. Oopsie. It looks as if Hagar and Ishmael were welcome to remain until this point. It was Sarah who went to Abraham and said, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this servant will not be heir with my son Isaac. This grieved Abraham, for he had become attached to his son of the flesh, Ishmael. Ishmael may have been Isaac's buddy and schoolmate, but he was not a fellow heir to the inheritance. God told Abraham not to grieve over Ishmael. Listen to your wife and put him away, for I will make of Ishmael a nation, because he is your seed. As Matthew Henry shares in his commentary on this passage, if Hagar and Ishmael had conducted themselves well in Abraham's family, they might have continued there, but they threw themselves out by their own pride and insolence and were justly chastised. Once again, we see an opportunity to have obeyed God in the things he tells us to do or to walk in our own ways. We were made in the image of God. While here on earth, we have an earth suit, this flesh that covers the real us, the spirit inside within us. There will always be a struggle between the flesh and the spirit for control. Are you lost? I was the first time I heard all these things. It took me a while to connect the dots of all this history and prophecy which is still history and some is yet prophecy. This account of history was not a written account by Abraham, but God had Moses write it down many years later. Early tradition of passing down historical accounts was through storytelling in most cultures, just as we still do in our families today. It usually goes something like this, in our family anyway, Omi, tell me a story about when Grandpapa was little. Which means those glorious little grandchildren want to hear those funny stories about Grandpapa. And then they go to him to find out those tales of old about me, which after many tellings becomes exaggerated for the fun of it. The difference between our family stories, which... Oh, as a reminder to myself, I must write down the actual details to pass them on correctly and the stories that Moses wrote down in the Pentateuch, the first five stories of the Bible. That is what Moses wrote and was guided by the Holy Spirit with information from God. So Moses has given us an accurate account of the following. The beginning of time the Garden of Eden, the creation of mankind and animals, the entrance of sin into the world, the casting out of the first family, children acting just like their parents, and the population of earth and sin. But wait, there's more. 
the whole worldwide flood, the first rainbow, the repopulation of the world and sin, and now the covenant with Abraham. Our struggles are not really about what we think our problems are. Our struggle is about faith and where we place it. It is easy to talk about faith, easy to say, I have faith and tell others to have faith, but we would do well to place our faith in God, who knows our end and beginning. When Adam and Noah and Abraham placed their faith in God and trusted Him with their lives and outcomes, they were living at their best. Just like us, if we walk in the promises of God, we can know that God will take care of us. Now, life may not always look like what we think it should, but it's not about us, right? Have we learned that yet, listening to these accounts of history? This whole scenario that repeats itself over and over and over again is about God's plan and not our own. Yes, we are responsible for our actions, for our responses to God. But we are not puppets on a string that are being made to act out a millennial or more long stage play. Each one of us is a being that God wants to spend time and eternity with. This flesh tent that we are covered in will die one day, but the real us inside will live on forever, somewhere. God is trying to get our attention and use these other previous living examples in history to unveil the truth. Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Isaac were also an allegorical way of explaining the flesh and the spirit. The Apostle Paul explained this in the letter he wrote to the Galatians. Paul marveled at how the Galatians, who have now tasted of grace, are now placing themselves back under the law. Paul really gets his point across when he shares O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth when some of you saw with your own eyes the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? They obviously understood the gospel at one time, but were now confused by it. So he reminds them of the covenant with Abraham once more, in how God rejects the works of the flesh. This letter to the Galatians was written around A.D. 54 and credits the covenant even though it was established 430 years before the law and shows us the promise of this covenant was still in effect. Paul asks the Galatians, Why would you want to put yourself back under the old ways, the law, when the perfect one has come and he is better the best way. Do you not remember what was written? That Abraham had two sons? One son was by a servant woman and was born according to the flesh, and the other son to a free woman born into the promise. 
My Thomas Nelson Bible footnote for Galatians 4.25 explains this well and leads us into the next covenant on our list. Hagar is Mount Sinai, means Hagar stands for Mount Sinai. Hagar corresponds to the then current Jerusalem or Judaism. Paul views Hagar and Judaism in the same way, for as Hagar and her offspring were in social bondage, so Judaism and her adherents were in spiritual slavery to the law. Christianity is represented by Jerusalem, which is above that heavenly city. The Christian community was described as being free and not under the law. And I can add to that, for those that are free in Christ, we are free indeed. I already explained the sign of this covenant with Abraham, but there was also the exchanging of names within this covenant. God took on the covenant names of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of Israel, all the descendants from Abraham. The covenant partners are now known by each other's name, who now think and talk and act alike. It's like an implied power of attorney. To apply his name for the goal of the covenant, Jesus took on the name Son of Man, and we took on the name of Christian. It's just like being part of a family, isn't it? I remember my dad telling us, you are part of this family, and I expect you to represent us well. How are we representing our Heavenly Father? Are we acting as ambassadors for His kingdom and sharing the truth unveiled, if we know it already? How are we using the time and the gifts and the talents that our Father has given us? Have we taken the time to learn about our family history? I know I have searched through the ancestry accounts to look for anyone I may have missed, but now I'm looking forward to meeting the head of the family and the one who makes it possible for me to get there one day. I have taken on his name, Christian, and he one day will give me a new name, when I arrive in the heavenly realm to see my Savior face to face. What a glorious day that will be. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, and no more shame. I will bow at his feet and place the crowns that he has given me at his feet, for it is only by his grace that I will be there. And after the ancestral view, let's take a look at the historical view. Have we been studying the historical accounts of our biblical family's roots? A quick recap gives us a look into what God has been doing on our behalf. In Genesis, God created humanity who rebelled, and yet God chose Adam, then Noah, and then Abraham, through which God would bless all the nations through his family. However, this family will end up in slavery in Egypt. As we follow the covenant with Abraham to its future end, we see that Abraham's benefactors, the beneficiaries of the promise, to his physical seed receive the real promised land. 
There are a few more covenants in between the here of Abraham's covenant and the now of today. The covenant points to history's end for its ultimate fulfillment, as the promise of the land was given to Abram, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, and future generations. Israel became a nation about a millennium after Abraham's day, about 1000 BC during the time of David. Then Israel was overrun by the Assyrian nation, and Israel was deported and resettled outside of Canaan. The Jewish state of Israel was reestablished in 1948. Between 586 BC and 1948 AD, no Jewish state existed. But even in the darkest part of Israel's history, they looked forward to the fulfillment of God's promise. Are you familiar with Isaiah chapter 9? It's read many times at Christmas time, for it speaks of the birth of the Savior of the nation of Israel, and they are still looking forward to that day. A day when their Savior is born and will grow to rule and reign on the earth. Israel missed the boat first when Noah left without them, and then again when they rejected this wonderful counselor, mighty God, this prince of peace that came to rescue them once more, but they sent Jesus to the cross to be crucified instead. There were more prophecies through Jeremiah and Ezekiel of the same manner. The entire land that was granted to Abraham and his descendants has never been occupied by the ancient Israelites or the modern Jewish people. The covenant and the promise of the land has yet to be fulfilled. However, after walking these few covenants already, we know that God keeps his word and that he loves us and that we can trust him. We know this is a covenant of grace that it invites a response of faith, it implies God's sovereignty, and that it foreshadows the work of Jesus Christ. We know that this covers the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, but if we are not physical descendants of Abraham, where does that leave us? Well, I don't want to spoil the ending, but time is of the essence in these last days of this church age, so Let's take a side tour of Hebrews chapter 11, where we read, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. For by faith the elders, those that have gone on before us, have obtained a good report. It's by faith that we understand that the world was made just by God speaking it into existence. By faith, We understand the ages which were prepared are now visible. The chapter goes on to tell of the history from beginning of time and many Old Testament saints that by faith did what God asked of them as they looked forward to and believed in the promises, the covenant promises of God. These all died, not having received these promises, but died in faith seeing the fulfillment of these promises in their future, and the future country, a heavenly country, that God has prepared for them. So since we have such a great cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us, 
that have been our examples, then let us look to Jesus, the originator and the perfecter of our faith. Because we, those who look to him in faith, are the joy that was set on his heart as he went forward to perfect and fulfill the covenants once and for all, so that those who trust in the finished work of Jesus can join him in our forever home with him, and while we are still here, lead and point others to that heavenly country as well. But let us not stop there with the ancestral and historical accounts. Let's finish with Paul, who says that the Galatians must choose between their slavish observance of outward ritual and a simple faith in the finished work of Jesus, and exhorts them to cast out Hagar and Ishmael, which savor of the flesh, and to give themselves to the service of the Spirit, which stands for freedom, peace, and joy in God. Let us also guard against a religious subservience to the outward and cultivate a quick sensitiveness to the Holy Spirit. Thank you, F.B. Meyer, for those last words. It is important to remember that we are to look to the Holy Spirit and to be led by Him. There is much more to the story, and it's difficult to give you a Reader's Digest version. So make time to read the Bible, God's love letters to you, for yourself, until we meet again to take a look at the Mosaic Covenant. If you have any questions or comments, you can join us in the Moments with Moni community group to continue the conversation. If you've enjoyed listening to Moments with Moni, you can find a lot more information on the website at momentswithmoni.com. There'll be background information on each of the podcasts, a way to subscribe, and information to connect in many different ways. Thanks so much for listening.